We've been in a message series titled this, Sent, and the subtitle is Finding Purpose in Unexpected Places. Now, um, we're going to be turning our Bibles to Acts 13 this morning. If you didn't bring one, that's okay. Everything you need will be up on the screen for you. But uh, as we turn there and as we get set and we get ready this morning, here's what I know about life is that life throws us so many curveballs. Am I right? That there's so many unexpected things that happen in front of us. Things as human beings we can't predict. And specifically this morning as we continue in this message series, I titled this morning's message this, In the Meantime. In the Meantime. Now, all of us as human beings, uh, we all have a clock. None of us are getting younger. All of us are heading at some point to the reality, uh, this is going to sound really morbid, but the reality of death, right? Am I right? But, and here's the thing. Until we expire, until that moment comes, what are we doing in the meantime, see, I think the phrase in the meantime, um, it's fascinating when you think about it. It's a fascinating phrase. It creates an attempt to build a practical bridge between dreams, goals, things that you want to see happen in your life. And it tries to create this practical bridge between that and whatever your current reality is. All of us have dreams. All of us have things that we want to accomplish but you know, typically there's a chasm between the reality of where we're living, what we're doing today, and those things that maybe we're aspiring to in our life, right? Your situation today might not be ideal. But in the meantime, what are you going to do? A lot of us are saying, man, like, maybe my dreams have died. Like, maybe, maybe I'm in a season where I'm experiencing so much heartache. Maybe I'm in a, serious, a, a season of grief. Man, when we lose other people to the reality of death. It could be so painful. But we have to process through that as human beings. In the meantime, what are we doing about it? In the meantime, what are we doing with the current reality that exists for us today? And it applies to everything, right? This phrase. That's why I love it. I was thinking about it and processing through it this week. Uh, Callie and I are expecting our, our second child. Uh, we're having a baby boy. And uh, it'll be our second boy. And um, it's going to be happening uh, around the month of November, the, the due date around that time. So in the meantime, what are we doing, right? I don't know about you, like you know something's coming. Like in the meantime, you prep, you prepare, getting the nursery ready, right? Like Callie's like, we got to get this stuff ready. Like I came home this week and like the nursery's already complete. Like she was just hashing it out, like just getting stuff done. But it, you have to have a game plan because you're preparing. Because once baby comes, if you haven't prepared one bit, you're going to say, what have I done? In the meantime, I obviously didn't prepare. I didn't do anything, so this phrase, in the meantime, see, it applies to everything. Because how are we bridging the current reality we're in with the reality of the future, the things that we want to see happen in our lives? This phrase, in the meantime, tries to connect those ideas together. And this morning, we're, we're looking at a story where imperfect, finite people were trying to make a positive difference in the world. And they were trying to make a positive difference in the world because they believed in something that was going to make a positive difference. In fact, they believed in this thing so much they were willing to die for it. They're putting their lives on the line because they were saying, I believe that this cause, this thing actually helps bring solutions to the world. They were worth dying for this thing called the good news of Jesus. See, these guys saw Jesus, experienced Jesus, and had a profound experience with this guy named Jesus that they literally 
were willing to change their life's trajectory, put their lives on the line, and in the meantime, until they were expired, willing to lay their lives down for the cause of this thing that Jesus had done and this message that Jesus wanted to spread. But if you've ever read or are familiar with the biblical narrative, you know that Jesus didn't stick around. He died. He was buried. Multiple eyewitnesses saw him in a resurrected state. But then, then he left. He ascended, as the Bible says. He left everybody behind. People were like, Jesus, no! We like having you around. The one who has proved himself to be not only fully man, but fully God. But Jesus leaves. And in the meantime, he creates this game plan for human beings that we call his church. The solution to the world. As the Bible expresses the fullness of Jesus that fills everything in every way. See, humanity, as imperfect human beings, we become a huge part of God's plans for the world. And this morning, we're just going to look really quickly at his mission, the mission of Jesus. Because I think this is helpful for us in the perspective of what we're diving into uh, to look at. His mission, Matthew 28, will be up on the screen here. And this is, this is Jesus' mission before he leaves. That's what he says. He says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, this is a mission that Jesus sent his church to fulfill. After he left, placed his confidence in terms of what he was empowering, what he was stirring, what he was doing for humanity at this point in history. But his mission, it's hard to understand the point of this mission unless you understand the assumed problem that Jesus is trying to address when it comes to our human capacity and our human experience. And up on the screen, we're going to talk about a little bit about the assumed problem. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says this about the human condition human capacity. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, sin can be such an uh, off-putting word, and I get it, because it's been abused by so many different people in so many different ways. It's been used as a weapon to tear people down, which is not God's heart. But let's look at the definition in Romans 3.23. I think this is a definition that we can pull away from the sting of the word sin and understand that you and I, we fall short of God's glory. Like, I'm not coming in here acting or believing that I'm God. Now, some of us struggle with this. Maybe we're a little controlling. We kind of have a little bit of a God complex. But I don't know about you. Like, I'm not perfect. I fall short of perfection. I fall short of this idea that there is a higher power called God in his perfection. And I'm just not living up to that perfect standard because I, as a person, I make mistakes. I don't know about you, but I fall short. And sin is such an interesting topic to look at because it's hard to look at. It's easier to ignore sin. It's easier to ignore sin in our world. Isn't this so true about us? When we see brokenness, when we turn on the news, when we see problems, it's easy for us to come to the conclusion that things aren't the way that they're supposed to be in the world. 
when we see people starving, when we see horrendous injustices, see, sin's so hard to look at sometimes because the closer and closer we get with the reality, our human conscience begins to want to address the injustices that we see around us. But it's easy to watch the news and keep the issues and the realities of the curse of sin in our world and the brokenness that exists in the world that we live in, it's easy to keep them at an arm's news length. It's easier to watch, have a reaction to them, but never actually have a practical solution to the reality that the world isn't the way it should be. See, this past week, um, this last Friday, we had the opportunity to go serve a do a little bit of disaster relief efforts with some of the flooding that was happening in the Tulsa area. And we got to go serve at the, at the Tulsa Dream Center. And one of the things that really struck and stuck with me was some of the stuff, that, stu- the things that they were doing for the community. One of the things that we were helping them kind of set up for on a Friday was something they do on a Saturday where they host birthday parties for parents that aren't able to be physically present because they're incarcerated. See, over 200 kids they were hosting birthday parties for. When's the last time I thought about that? When's the last time my life faced the realities that the world isn't the way it should be? See, it forced me to get into a position where I was setting up physically for something where my distance was closer, and I understood the justice and the reality that sin in our world is painful to look at. It breaks my heart to know that many kids don't have parents to celebrate their birthday with. But the hope, knowing that somebody saw the issue and wanted to bring a solution to it. See, when we see demonstrated brokenness in our world, it's difficult to look at because it reminds us really deep down of our own brokenness. That whether you like it or not, if you're falling short, if you're imperfect, you're contributing to the bigger picture of the brokenness that exists as us as human beings living in this world, making bonehead mistakes, contributing in some way or another to the fact that things aren't the way they should be. I heard this this past week as I was listening to a podcast, and the, the podcaster said the, harp, the hardest type of leadership is self-leadership. That's so true. You got to get up in the morning and deal with the person who's right here. You got to get up and first deal with the person that you're looking at when you look into a mirror. See, it's so easy to point out and look and point out the brokenness that exists in our world, the fact that things aren't the way they should be, point out other people's failures and mistakes. But isn't it interesting that when Jesus came, many times when he's confronting people, he's saying, hey, what's going on in here? What's going on in our heart? Jesus is constantly challenging humans to look inward at their own sin. So we're looking at a story this morning where the church who's carrying this message about what Jesus has done They're carrying this message, and the church is expanding, and people are hearing about the good things that God has done at this point in human history. And these people didn't know what was on the other side. There was a lot of unknowns. There was a lot of unexpected. 
There was a lot of, like, I'm not a genie or a fortune teller who understands that, like, Jesus wants me to carry this mission with my life, and I don't know what's in front of me. There's a lot of unknowns, but I'm willing to have a confidence as I push forward. And, and these people, we're reading stories about people who came with such a confidence, but I also love that they came, and as we're about to look into this story, they came with such a simplicity. Such a simplicity of in the meantime. Here's what's interesting about our culture today is we're on information overload. In 2019, we are more connected based on the idea of technology than ever before. For me, I think about this and I'm like, what a time to be alive. This is crazy. Like we're connected with things in the world that we wouldn't otherwise be connected with 20, 30 years ago, right? Simply because of the phone, AKA supercomputer that's in our pocket. For some of us, we're like, what a time to be alive. For others of us, we're like, I wish it was still the good old days. But here we are. This is where we're at. This is the reality. And in the meantime, what do we do? What do we do with this world that feels so broken? Global atrocities are knocking on our door because every time we turn on our news app on our phone, we're reminded of the horrible things that are happening, maybe in not our neck of the woods. And then it begs the question, what do I do about it? But we're hearing about this story over here. We're hearing about this country over here. We're seeing things right in front of us in our own neighborhood. And within us, we're saying, what can I do about it? And I don't know about you, but I get overwhelmed. I get discouraged. When I try to be the solution to all those problems, it all just falls apart because guess what? Me as a human being, I fall short of the glory of God. What do we do? Because life is so complex in 2019. Up on the screen. The world has obvious problems. I think we can all agree with that. There's a problem here. But what do we do in the meantime? Is it super complicated? Do we have to jump through hoops to live a fulfilling life? What does that mean for us in our human capacity until we reach death in the meantime? The world isn't how it ought to be, and it's overwhelming. So many of us are saying this, just tell me what to do. Some of you in the room this morning, you're like, you're right. Pastor, just tell me what to do. Give me a solution. Here's what I love. We're looking at a story where this character, Paul, he's been traveling around, and he's been traveling around this Mediterranean region, and we have a picture, and uh, thankful for Pastor Julianne last week, who really set the stage for this this morning. Um, but we're in an area, and in the, in the, kind of the, the northwest corner here of, of, of the map, there's a geography around the Mediterranean Sea that this, this character, this character Paul, he's, he's carrying this message he believes in so much about what Jesus has done when it comes to the issues of humanity. And now he's in this place called Antioch in Pisidia. He's traveling hundreds of miles, putting his life on the line. It's not like I just check into the airport and go take my like comfortable flight to go like tell people about the things of Jesus. This is a guy whose life is being dedicated to the hardships of travel in an ancient culture, right? He's been traveling around, and here's what's so crazy. He's hanging out with people, and in this story we're about to read, he's about to drop an information truth bomb on people. 
One, in such a way that it's going to overwhelm their minds. In the same way, when we look at our culture, we look at our problems, our minds get overwhelmed. Because our humanity is saying, I want to be a part of the solution. See, he's about to drop a bomb on this congregation of people that's going to overwhelm them. He's in a congregation of Jewish people who are meeting on their weekly Shabbat. Their Saturday time of worship, much like this morning for us. They're gathered together. They're faithful to God in the ways that they know how to. And Paul's going to show up and he's going to drop something that's probably going to overwhelm them. So we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 13, verses 26 through 27. And this is what Paul communicates to these Jewish people who are congregating in their time of worship. He says to them, fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. Now, first and foremost, we need to understand that Paul is a Jew himself. So he's speaking to like-minded people, but his life has been changed. But he also acknowledges this idea that there's those who weren't inherently or racially Jewish who have been getting in on the worship of this God that they're worshiping, right? These are people known as Gentiles. So he acknowledges both types of people who are relating to this God that they're worshiping. And he says this, the people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning, condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Now, this is so interesting to me because what Paul is preaching to here is a group of people that are big-time, quote-unquote, church attenders. These are people that are faithful. These are people that have been getting up, memorizing Scripture, relating to God. They're a part of this community. Actually, it's their duty to come to the Shabbat every week as their duty to worship. They have been in what we would call constant church attendance for years and years. This is a part of their family attendance and what Paul is saying to them, he's dropping this truth bomb, and he's saying, hey, guess what? The same people in Jerusalem, they missed it. See, maybe this is why Jesus, when he left and he gave a mission, his mission wasn't go attend church. Isn't that interesting? Because here, here's the weak side of this. Church attendance doesn't mean that you're going to be on board with the things that God's doing. Isn't that wild? Isn't it wild that these faithful people who have attended church and been faithful to God up to this point missed what God was currently doing in their day right then and there? He's saying our very people killed the very Messiah, the Jewish Messiah that we've been waiting for, that we read about every week, that gets preached on every week. That gets talked about every week. Our people, the same ones that are dedicated so religiously, missed it. See, information overload. Can you imagine for a second? You're like, you're, you're, you're telling me I'm, I've dedicated my whole life to this thing and I've missed it. <laughs> right? The overwhelming experience as a human to come to that realization. Paul continues in, 1328. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. He's talking about Jesus' death here. When they had carried out all that was written about him, 
they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. From, and for many days he was seen by those who have traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. This is wild. And this is where, for those in the Christian faith, we need to understand this. Or maybe you're a seeker, maybe you're checking this thing out. The resurrection of Jesus was everything. Because here's the deal. Jesus was either a madman or he was God. And the only proof that gives us and helps us understand the difference between him being a madman, a religious zealot, a good prophet, or actually the son of God, fully God, fully man, is this thing called the resurrection. See, if you're a person who's seeking right now and you're like, I'm still on the fence about this Jesus thing, here's, what I, here's my first step for you. Go investigate the resurrection of Jesus. Go check it out. Investigate the circumstances around the resurrection. Investigate the ideas that there were actual physical eyewitnesses and manuscripts, multiple eyewitnesses that witnessed Jesus in a resurrected state that proved he was who he said he was. The same posture Paul is taking with these Jewish religious people. Hey, we missed it, but here's the idea that you need to understand is that there were eyewitnesses to people that saw Jesus. He claimed all of these things. And if he isn't just a madman, a religious zealot, and he actually did rise from the dead, we should probably pay attention to his perspective about the world that we live in. For anybody in the room this morning, if you're on the fence, we have a couple great resources in our library. One is called The Case for Christ. It's a book about a skeptic who was like, I don't know about this Jesus thing. He was an atheist. He investigated the events around the resurrection and became a Christian because of it. Because it's a game changer. If you want to take a deeper dive, we have a, a book called The Resurrection of the Son of God. It's like a textbook by N.T. Wright that if you want to take a really deep dive, if you're that guy, I'm typically that guy. I'm a logical guy. Like, check that out. Check out all of the eyewitness testimony and the historical reliability surrounding this one event if this is tripping you up. Because he's either Lord or he's a madman. And people during this time obviously felt that Jesus did something and proved to be him, who he said he was based on the fact that they were willing to leave their religious traditions behind and put their life on the line for a single cause. That was the message that Jesus had for the world. But we've got to address the posture that Paul's taking for these people once again. He's saying God did something in the middle of human history that was massive, and it's not all about us. It's not all about God's chosen nation. His chosen people. See, because the witnesses that saw what Jesus did, see, they're the witnesses now to us for what God is doing. Can you imagine for a second if you were somebody sitting here realizing the realities of what God was up to? having to process through all of your family line, your histories, your traditions, and coming to the conclusion yourself is like, I kind of have a, a choice to make. There's a big fork in the road when it comes to my life and my beliefs moving forward. It was obviously for them information overload. Can you imagine how overwhelmed these people were? I mean, Paul is dropping bomb after bomb here. And then he continues. It's not done yet. Acts 13, 32, we tell you the good news, what God promised our ancestors. He has fulfilled for us, their children, 
by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I've become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. Okay, here's, here's Paul. He's like dipping in Jewish history, like pulling out examples saying, hey, these were God's promises. Let me point to a few examples that you're going to highly relate to because this is you. You know this. You have many of these stories and characters memorized on your heart. Verse 35, so it also is also stated elsewhere, you will not let your Holy One see decay. Now, when David had served God's purposes in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. See, there was this king of Israel, David, considered the greatest king of Israel, and there was this anticipation that a David-like figure was going to come and be the Messiah. But what everybody had missed in the Jerusalem area was the fact that Jesus was this man, and he wasn't just an earthly Messiah. He was one that came from the heavenly realms as God himself in human flesh. But it's amazing because we, we wrap our minds around this idea that when God wanted to save the world, he called the people whom he knew to be a part of the problem. He used the very people that were a part of the problem. You and I, once again, we're contributing to the problem of sin. Because we miss it. We make mistakes. We don't make perfect justice decisions for the world in our everyday life. Some have horrible consequences to our mistakes. Others have smaller ones. But the fact of the matter is, we miss it when we, and we contribute to the brokenness that exists in the world that we live in in one way or another. But God saw his people and decided to call and choose a nation for himself to carry out a plan. And now we're at a point in human history where those very people are going to be a part of the solution by telling people about what Jesus has done about this human reality. They're going to be bearers of the solution. People are the problem, but people in God's eyes become a part of the solution. That's a wild, that's a fascinating thing to think about. What was the defining factor for the change? You got problems. I got problems. Everybody's got problems. The defining factor for the change of people that have problems that are contributing to the world's problems to people that now have hope and a solution. See, this thing happened in the middle of human history that changed it for people. How do we come from a place of being a part of the world's problems to being the solution to the world's problems. Well, his name is Jesus. He came, died for you and I, so that we would have an abundant life, so that we could contribute our lives in a direction to bring a solution to the problem that is that we are all imperfect, contribute to the brokenness that we see all around us, the brokenness that we say, eh, well, my mistakes aren't that bad but it causes us to shy away from the reality is that we live in a very pain-filled, problematic world. Here's what I love about Jesus when it comes to our problems that we all have. That's awesome, right? But perfection isn't required for you to have purpose. Isn't that amazing? 
Because what gets me from being a part of the problem to contributing to the solution isn't me, isn't you, isn't like behavior of how we can accomplish it. See, it's based on this defining factor that Paul is wanting the whole world to know about. And his name is Jesus. See, it's based on his perfection, his identity, and how that informs us in how we live our lives. In verse 38, it continues as you can only imagine these people were once again on information overload, unraveling in their minds the scriptures that they knew, connecting the dots in the way that what Paul was telling them made sense for probably many of them. We get to Acts 13, verse 38. It says, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. I love this. It's like, hey, through our history, God set up a covenant with you. We had some laws. But these laws did not give us the solution our human tendency and our human frailty was begging for. See, that now that solution has come in the middle of human history. See, I, I built a covenant so that we could relate to one another, so that we could be a nation representing the God of the universe. But now Jesus, see, the nationalism and the nationalistic tendencies of Israel were being blown into pieces. Now we were getting to a human level based on what Jesus had done. Jesus becomes the great equalizer. All Jew and Gentile alike. All for us, racially Jew or not, must be humbled before God to receive his rescue and new creation as what it is, a gift of grace and not favor automatically reserved for a special few. It's got to be information overload for these people to come to the terms that we've been God's nation, we've been God's people, and now Jesus did something where the terms have changed a little bit. Or felt like they have. Wait, wait, you're saying that I've been faithful my whole life and this guy, who I've despised my whole life, if he humbles himself before what Jesus has done for me, he gets in just like I do? Paul's saying, yeah. Can you imagine the information overload? Can you imagine maybe some of the jealousy, the comparison? Maybe an unrighteous anger that rises up when it comes to comparison. It's interesting because we face this reality today. Do we, you and I, live our faith in a way where we believe and live in a way where we believe it's only reserved for a special few? We could so easily be like the audience here that Paul is addressing. Like, do you live in such a way where you're like, you know what, like, I've received, like, what Jesus has done for me, but, like, I'm going to create kind of barriers in my relational sphere in terms of, like, who I feel like I need to, like, live for or have purpose towards. Like, you know that, like, person I work with or the community, like, my job right now, it's not ideal. And, like, I'm going to take a posture where it's just like, you know what, like, I have my church family, but when I get to work, like, I could care less about these people. See, that's the type of posture that Jesus was trying to reorient and Paul was trying to get at. And what we've been getting at a little bit in this series is that as, as people, we are sent whether we like it or not. It depends on how we react to it in the meantime. 
where there are people, there is purpose. But how are we categorizing different people in a way that's removing them from the same even fielded perspective that God says gets people into what he's done for them, his grace and his forgiveness. You know, heard this quote a few times and I read it again this week. The local church is the only organization in the world whose primary focus should be on the people who are not a part of it yet. That's wild. Life's not about us. Jesus' life, the leader of this thing, life was not about him. Actually, he laid it down for the sake of other people who put him up there on that cross to die an excruciating death. And we complain about little teeny tiny differences and we create chasms between people. Well, duh, we do. Because it's easy to be like that. It's easy to operate out of our own humanness falling short of the glory of God. But Jesus comes into the picture and says, let me give you strength for a new life. Let me give you a supernatural strength to live out of a love that is impossible to live on based out of your own definition of love. Because you're going to fall short. And Jesus begins to inform us of a love and a grace that only he can do. Then Paul goes on in Acts chapter 13, verses 40 through 41. He says, take care what, that the, what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Like, first Paul's just giving some information. Now he's kind of changing his tone a little bit. Hey, I hope I've said a lot. It's information overload, and I hope this doesn't become you. And he quotes from Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5, the prophets. These guys were heroes. Once again, these are things that these people had memorized. And Paul uses this verse that says, Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. Paul's like, I'm telling you, don't be that guy. Don't fulfill that prophecy just like everybody else has when they killed Jesus and missed him. You have an opportunity right now to give in, to change the trajectory, to get on board with the new thing that God is doing. See, this history lesson rapidly turns into a warning. Something new is happening under your very noses. And unless you join in, with everyone else, you're going to miss out on what God has in store for your life. Here's where we're at in history, Paul's saying. Now what are you going to do? Between now and death, from this point forward, in the meantime, what are you going to do? Information overload! Can you imagine? Paul is just dropping history bombs, pointing to our mis their mistakes, just pointing things out. If I was in this, like, I, I might have been a person who's so offended, I would have got up and left. He's just dropping. It's so overwhelming. Can you imagine? Then we get to the conclusion here. And this is the key for us, I believe, this morning. Acts 13, 42-43, it says, As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. Hey, guest speaker, come on back. Obviously, this went over pretty well because people are like, the things that you've said have overwhelmed me. They are profound. I need to hear more. I got to get some clarity. I got to understand more. You're changing my theology. You're changing the way that I think about God. Come on. Like, help me understand it. Teach me. Sit here. Continue to teach me. Lead me. Guide me. 
verse 43, when the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas. So people were literally like, come back. They're like, let's just follow these dudes. Let's learn from these guys. Let's get more clarity on what we're supposed to do because we're on information overload. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. Tell me how to live out my faith with these profound truths that have happened. And here it is, the key part in verse 43. Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in what? In the grace of God. See, the problem is, is we go, oh my gosh, I need to know about end times. I need to know. I need to have the perfect eschatology of Armageddon. I need to know the signs of the times. I need to have a perfect, I need to understand what's happening in the world. See, this, Paul and Barnabas were like, they could have talked about those things. They could have gone off on those tangents. These people didn't have a perfect theology. And in the meantime, what did they simply remind them to do? Because they were not at their beckoning call from Sunday to Sunday. If there was anything Paul and Barnabas was going to leave these people with, if they died the next day, what did they encourage in the meantime for people who were overloaded and didn't have it all figured out? Continue in the grace of God. In the meantime, be filled, lead your life with the grace of God. If you're going to live your theology out without understanding everything, without standing before God, having a perfect theology, having perfect ideas, if you're going to stand before God as an imperfect person who has received the truth of what Jesus has done for you, in the meantime, do something so simple while you humbly admit you don't have it figured out. Continue in the grace of God of God. Grace is a perfect theology. Jesus is a perfect theology. Jesus is grace personified, and grace came as a person. The new world which God is creating through the death and resurrection of Jesus is all about forgiveness of sins. At every level, your sins and mine. Our wickedness, the folly, the failing, the rebellion, the shameful, dirty, lying, cheating, glittering, sophisticated, flashy, corporate, international, global, local, personal, individual sins, the whole lot, all dealt with because of Jesus. It's overwhelming when we look at this world. It's overwhelming to think about what Jesus has done for us. But in the meantime, Paul and Barnabas give an encouragement when these people were overloaded with their worldview and what was happening around them. And in the meantime, there was a simplicity and a confidence in one vital truth and perspective. Continue in the grace of God. Paul's whole address to these people was about grace. The great story of God's amazing love for the world, to the human race, to Israel, now coming to its climax and resolution in Jesus. Up on the screen, if I could say anything today, I would encourage you in the same way as we're leaving a Sunday, going into the same week that Paul and Barnabas did in the same posture. In the meantime, while you're overwhelmed with life, while you're overwhelmed with those things that are in front of you, while you're overwhelmed with all the problems, while you're overwhelmed with your own imperfections, when you have to deal with the person that you're looking at in the mirror, receive the idea 
and choose grace. In the meantime, choose grace. Choose Jesus. Let him inform your life. Don't base it upon your imperfections and your failings. And in the meantime, when you receive grace for yourself, it forces you to take a posture towards the world and those relationships around you where you have to choose grace as well. In the meantime, choose grace. See, a lot of people, and I think this is worth talking about on the topic of grace, a lot of people get at the definition of grace kind of mixed up with the definition of mercy. So let's talk about this as we kind of land the plane and conclude this morning. See, grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy, on the other hand, is not getting what you deserve. I worked at Blockbuster Video when I was in college. Any, anybody remember video stores? Yeah. Um, I, I noticed Stillwater still has one. It's like a family video. I was like, this is awesome. Like, I just need to go in there and, like, rent a movie someday. Now we got Redbox, and it's just a different experience, right? Like, I was the guy who worked at Blockbuster who had to do inventory, and I had to scan. My fingers were bleeding after an all-night working of just, like, scanning little, you know, barcodes on every single DVD on the wall, right? But I'll never forget it. I started working. This is my first customer service job that I ever, I'd ever done, and obviously you work a register, and I'll never forget it. The following day after I worked, my manager came to me, and she was really serious, and she said, your, your register didn't match. And if you've ever worked a customer service job with the register, you know that the money that comes in needs to coincide with the transactions that have been scanned, or else it looks like you might have been stealing money. Now, this was a warning for me, but a stern one. It was like $8 short, and I remember I was getting trained, and other people were scanning into my register, and I thought, this is the way we do things. So there was a part of me that there was this injustice rising up, like, oh my gosh, like, I didn't even do this. I didn't steal $8. There's, there's some big mistake. But it was very clear if I did anything like that again, if the, the register was ever short again, I would get fired immediately. That was just policy. See, what if the next time I worked, my register was $1,000 short? I, I, would n I would expect and understand, based on the premise of what I was to expect, that I would get fired. My job would be done with, correct? But can you imagine with me for a second that if my boss decided to come in and, and extend mercy and say, you know what, I know $1,000 short, but we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna keep you. We're going to keep you on staff. We believe in you. I'd say, oh, my. Gosh, how merciful. How merciful under the terms and the conditions, the mercy of God. Not getting what you and I deserve, but that mercy is different from grace. Because here's what grace does. The manager comes in. We noticed your register was $1,000 short, but guess what? We're going to keep you, and we're giving you a promotion. Come on, somebody. Grace doesn't make sense. The grace of God requires the power and the strength of God to come and form our lives. You can't sit in church and expect yourself to live out the grace of God that requires a relationship with the power that will inform you, drive you, and keeps your life simple in the meantime of what he wants you to do and to accomplish. Jesus has given us a grace we have received the gift that says, we are part of the problem, but guess what? Go be a part of the very solution and tell people that it's not you who are the solution. Your life's not your own, but tell people about me. And when you do that, choose grace not for yourself, 
but begin to view human beings with the same equalizing grace that equated people at the cross of Jesus. Not one is better than another. Not even one Israelite or Jew who is faithful up to God in that point in history. The terms were all the same. You need to place your faith on this solution in the midst of history. And that simplicity in the meantime will be the driving force that pushes you forward till you die. And the grace that God has offered for you and is extended for you so that you may extend it as the fullness of his body in everything in every way till the day you and I expire from this earth. In the meantime, choose grace. Can we pray this morning?